Okay, everyone, welcome to the Department 12 podcast. My guest for this episode is Dr. Michael Zicker. How are you, Dr. Zicker? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. So Mike is here as kind of like a rebuff. If you listen to our last episode, uh, we had some talk about the academic versus the, the practice side of IO psychology. And Mike has a personal connection with our last guest. Could you talk a little bit about that, Mike? Yeah, the the sliders. I knew them back uh, back when they were just starting, and so uh, Mike and Katie were both PhD students at BGSU, um, and uh, it's been really great to see them sort of uh, blossom in their own paths. And and uh, but I do want to counter what they were saying about how uh, private industry is much better than academia. <laughs> so I'm glad to have that opportunity to be on here. So. Mike uh, teaches at Bowling Green State University, uh, in case you don't know what the BGSU stands for, audience. And um, so why don't you just tell us a little bit, like, what, why is it that we should consider an academic career? Like, let's imagine we've got a, a graduate student, and, you know, he or she's trying to make this decision between, you know, should I stay in academia? Should I go take a big fat paycheck out in the applied world? Uh, make the case for academia. Yeah, and I, you know, one with my PhD students, I always try to figure out what's best for for their own career goals too, and really push them in whatever direction they want. But but for a lot of people, I think um, academia is a great career, especially for an IO psychologist, in that um, the the benefits of academia you have um, so much career flexibility. Mm. Uh, I see my the the students who go into uh, uh, the private world, they sort of romanticize that, and they often see sort of the the toughest parts of our job. Um, they see the stress that faculty have, mm. uh, romanticize the idea of, you know, business travel and meeting all of its great clients and stuff, um, when in fact, uh, I feel like academia gives um, people a real autonomy over your career. You get to study uh, whatever it is that you really want to do, as long as it's valued within the field and especially within your department. And um, there's something about teaching, especially at the PhD level. You know, working with graduate students has really been one of my biggest joys in life in that mm. uh, you really get to work with a student. You know, it's different than undergrad. I love undergraduate teaching too, but at the PhD level, um, you you really get to work with somebody for four or five years, um, and there's a really sort of an amazing connection that happens there. That you know, I I, I, I just wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Um, plus, we have the uh, the summers off as well. <laughs> I, I, I just I've been department chair for uh, the last nine years, and so I have a administration role. But I, I remember the years that uh, that we had the summers off. Uh, yeah, so summer's off sounds pretty good, especially right around now. We're recording this uh, shortly after the 4th of July holiday. Um, I heard autonomy, so you have some, uh, well, a lot more control over, you know, what your interests are and you can pursue them, which, you know, not a lot of people get an opportunity to have a job like that where, hey, I'm interested in something and as long as it's uh, of use to the field, I can go after it. You certainly don't have that, uh, you know, when you're working in consulting, you're kind of beholden to what the client needs you to do. And then building those relationships, and it sounds like, you know, especially long-term relationships uh, with your graduate students that maybe if you're working in the field, you just don't 
have an opportunity to develop that kind of relationship with, say, a client who you're going to fly in and meet with and maybe have a project for a couple of months and then sort of disappear again as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, another thing about it, especially within the field of IO psychology, is you know, most of the academics I know do applied work as well. And so you can get that taste of it. Um, without having the, the need to, you know, accept every project that comes through your way. And I know applied people don't either, but you have a, you know, you have that extrinsic uh, motivation that sometimes the academics don't necessarily have because we have a stable paycheck. And so it's, we can do maybe a little bit more picking and choosing on applied projects. But I like uh, always having at least one project where I'm working with a, uh, you know, organization in whatever role it is that kind of gives me that taste of the business world without being, you know, without having it dominate my daily life. Yeah, I, I can see that as almost uh, ideal for a lot of people is, you know, having the steady paycheck and the, the kind of predictability of an academic life, but then being able to pick up work, especially work that you want to do versus work that you feel like you have to do on the side. So, I'll ask you kind of the reverse question that I asked my last guest, which is, you know, what is a time, you know, in your work life where you say, oh, gosh, you know, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. I wish I was out in the field. Yeah, uh, well, as a department chair, uh, quite often, whenever I have to deal with a lot of uh, problems that come up, so you know, uh, some something strange happens in the classroom. I have to deal with that. But as a regular faculty member, I think it's a um, uh, couple times. Uh, whenever a class, you know, classes here at BGSU are 16 weeks, and and uh, each class has its own culture and climate. And mm. after about eight weeks, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta. It, there's the energy just isn't right there for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, we're teaching like intro psych to 200 students at 8 a.m. three days a week. And that that just wasn't the right time for it. Um, That can be really painful. I think also the um, end of the semester is always just a real juggle, um, you know, grading, uh, dealing with complaints about grading or appeals and all that. You know, oftentimes, you get to see sort of the, you know, the worst of behavior. Okay. Uh, another uh, faculty hate dealing with plagiarism and cheating, and so when that happens, mm. um, you know, it's rare that a faculty member really enjoys busting. Yeah. Somebody, but you know, those kinds of things uh, can yeah. really down to. It's hard to believe anybody thinks they can get away with that. It's so easy to check. Yeah, uh, I think you can get away with the cut and paste stuff. Um, so we're we're also and we were talking a little bit before the show about you know we're going through one of those cycles now where uh, the field seems to be looking at itself and saying you know a little bit of where did we go wrong or where what can we be doing better and and one of the criticisms um, and it seems to be you know especially aimed I guess at the academic side is that we're losing ground to other disciplines, uh, especially like, you know, we're losing faculty and losing programs to the business schools. And I understand you wrote an article along with the co-author recently to talk a little bit about that. Could you just say something about what your argument is there? Yeah, we, we just did a commentary piece for, uh, 
for IO Psychology Journal uh, with Scott Highhouse. You know, a couple things. Uh, So the history, I have a real passion for the history of uh, of IO Psychology and had these identity issues for really since our field has existed. Yeah. Uh, You know, and you had, uh, I was jealous you had Hugo Munsterberg on there (laughs) a few weeks ago. Um, And, you know, he could tell you uh, uh, just how difficult it was in the early days to to do research on applied topics within a psychology department like Harvard that focused Mm -hmm. on research. So we've had these issues for a long time. But recently, um, you know, the salaries in business schools are really quite high um, compared to psychology departments. And so I think in the latest PSYOP salary survey, it's about 30 or 40 grand, the difference in terms of wow. uh, psychology departments versus business school. It's really substantial. And um, and so there are a lot of people migrating. It makes sense. It's hard to turn down that kind of money. The problem is um, that most of our new PhDs are coming from uh, psychology departments. Uh, business schools have a hard time attracting uh, PhD students uh, generally that uh, um, psychology is a field that more people are willing to you know to to get that four or five year extra degree uh, than than in business and so we have the training of most of our our you know new people are are is within psychology departments but a lot of our uh, faculty are moving over to business schools and so you know a lot of us are sort of wondering what's going to happen to the training of our field. Um, Mm. Oh, I see. So the concern is that, you know, as those faculty migrate over to the business schools, then who's going to to mentor the next generation of of graduate students coming up, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, It it just, you know, and the thought is maybe students will migrate to business, you know, undergraduate students will migrate to business schools to get their PhDs to be future IO psychologists. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. And, mm. You know, I'm skeptical of whether that's going to happen. So, what does, in your opinion, what does IO psychology need to do as a field to regain some of that ground that we've lost to, you know, the business schools? Um, a, a couple things that you know, the premise in our commentary is really uh, connecting back with psychology. Um, you know, there's a uh, there's a real sort of uh, disconnect in our field in that, uh, especially, it, you know, and part of our challenge is based on success that we've had, that mm-hmm. um, our field has grown. Um, it's, we've become more successful in the applied world, and so that's good, too. Um, and so there's been more of a demand. The business schools have realized that as well. Um, but, I, you know, one of the things is our identity is really to, to reconnect with psychology and some of the you know, the basic research on individual differences has, has always been a real core in uh, in the history of our field and personnel selection and the like and mm-hmm. you know I think uh, business schools often don't value that kind of research business schools often don't value uh, people who publish in uh, regular psychology journals not mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, connecting with, um, you know, connecting with the, 
the broader field of psychology, I think, is something that we're going to need to figure out how to do, even if people are in business school. Yeah, I think a trend that I've noticed, um, and it's almost like a swagger, uh, especially among recent uh, graduates, is this just laser-like focus on data analysis. Everything is about it. And, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with data analysis. Obviously, it's a, a big part of um, a big part of any quantitative research, even on the, the basic um, and psychological versus the applied and business side. But it, it's almost like uh, that crunching those numbers is more important than whatever the subject matter is. Uh, that discussion even came up in a group and Somebody asked, you know, what are the top three things that you get out of an I.O. psych education? And one of the respondents said, uh, number one is, you know, data analysis, and I don't care what number two and three are. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's, uh, you know, to, to some extent, that's what's being rewarded out there, at least on the applied side. But uh, I take your point about reconnecting with um, with psychology, you know, it you know, it's a yeah. subspecialty of psychology and, and not a subspecialty of business, even though it's applied to the world of business. Yeah, and I, I think there are a lot of, you know, there's lots of basic research being done in all different areas of psychology that um, we, we kind of often, we learn about it uh, second or third hand oftentimes. Uh, you look at sort of like the history of personality research, in yeah. IELTS, you know, it's a we feel like we rediscover everything that's really about 20 years old. <laughs> we just weren't reading the other journals for the last couple of decades, so we think we discovered it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your uh, area of, of research? So what topics are you looking at right now? Uh, my, my, historically, my big area of research has been uh, psychometrics. And so I think you had Nate Thompson on a few weeks ago. I uh, sure uh, did. Yeah. Uh, so my research has been on uh, item response theory and personality measurement. I've, I've always been fascinated by a lot of the constructs that we study in IO psychology because they're, I, I've always been fascinated by the really messy constructs. And so, like, mm. for instance, uh, cognitive ability is a relatively clean construct, whereas personality you know, can be just so messy. And so I, I've, I've always enjoyed um, really digging deep into uh, the measurement of some of these constructs and often also how the context of the measurement can really uh, impact things as well. So, you know. Uh, can you give me an example? Yeah, so... Um, so early on, I got interested in um, how people change their personality responses uh, based on, you know, whether they were applying for a job or not. And then I, mm -hmm. I had a student, this is kind of a funny story, she, she was interested in how people fake on, uh, on, in interviews. And mm -hmm. so you know, on a personality test, it's very easy to fake. Everybody sort of knows what the mm -hmm. writing is, for, for the most part. Yeah. In an interview, you know, how do you do that? How do you do it in, in a subtle way? And, and so she had uh, access at BGSU to education students who all of the education majors have to interview for placements into, you know, like teacher's aides and, yeah. and all that. And somehow she got them to do a, a blind experiment where, uh, there, so there were 
three conditions. One was answer every question honestly. Another one was um, fake, uh, you know, so pre present yourself in the best possible light. And then the third one was like present yourself in the best possible light with coaching about. Okay. <laughs> and at the end of the study, what happened was the people who were in the honest condition um, just totally bombed the interview. <laughs> the, the, the people who were blind, you know, they were all blind, the, the people conducting the interviews. And they said, what is wrong with these people, they're, they're, they're psychologically crazy. They're, so it was interesting, you know, the, the different types of context and the expectations and norms of all of these situations. So I, I just found that fascinating. Oh, that is fascinating because I think that the norm for a job interview is a certain level of faking. You know, if you're, if you're actually in their, um, you know, honesty, warts and all, um, like you said, it's going to be perceived as you don't care about the interview or, it's almost like a certain level of faking is normal. Like you're, uh, it's almost like you're playing poker. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and so they, somebody would ask them, you know, tell me about a time when you really screwed up, <laughs> which is totally, you know, you know how the, the right way to answer. Yeah, the right way to answer. That's why I tell people never to ask that question. <laughs> because you're going to get like, well, I'm just, I try too hard. I work too much. I'm too perfect. Blah, blah, blah. Ugh. I need to take, <laughs> I'm off, you know. <laughs> yeah, I never know when to leave the office or to ask for a raise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Versus the real answer, which was, yeah, well, one time when I was 19. Dot dot dot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's fascinating. So, tell us something about you that we would not guess from looking at your uh, CV or your LinkedIn page. Okay. Well. Um I figured you might ask this, so I want to tell a um, I want to tell a story that has to do with IO psychology. So, All right. uh, uh, a few years ago, 2012, I had a chance to meet uh, President Obama, and I knew I would in advance. And so, I wanted to. So on Facebook, I I said I'm going to meet the President of the United States tomorrow, and I'm going to use the phrase "industrial organizational psychology." And see how he responds. And so, um, and so he came just as sort of a Rorschach. I wanted to, you know, he, yeah. he came first to Chicago and knew some decision making people. So I didn't know what his reaction would be. So he was campaigning at EGSU and I had uh, volunteered on the campaign. So I knew I was going to get to see him beforehand, a photo opportunity. So he flies in. So there's about 5,000 people in our basketball arena. He flies okay. in. He talks with the president of our university for about um, about five minutes. You know, she they talk mm -hmm. about the backgrounds in the university, and then he gets to the photo line, and there's about twenty people in the photo line, um, and it'd be kind of like like your wedding reception. Like yeah. Every kind you, you got about forty five seconds. <laughs> I'm just imagining you waiting there to lunge out at him and say, "Industrial organizational psychology and Secret Service just brings down a pistol on your head." Yeah, I was so excited. You know, there's Secret Service everywhere. I, I, you know, we had been background checked for, for days that we weren't, you know, like gamblers or hoods or anything like that. He'd be embarrassed to have us photo with. So, so he, I'm the last one in line, and I get, you know, I, I get to him and I said, I'm Mike Zicker, I volunteer for your campaign, and I'm a professor of industrial organizational psychology here. And he looked at me, and what he said blew me away. He, he looked at me and he said, 
you guys have a really your your president. She told me you guys have a really good PhD program here, mm. and so it blew me away for two reasons. One that in that short amount of time that our president had, she she bragged about our program. I yeah. wouldn't have did that. I, I, I that was a really special thing. And then two um, that he was really in the moment um, that he that he linked something that was said to him 10 minutes earlier to something I had said, you know, I, if I was in, you know, that kind of a situation where, you know, people are talking to you like that, it's all in one ear and out the other. And so, sure. so he might not know what IO psychology is, but, but whatever it is, he knows BG has a good program. In it. So that was a, that was yeah. kind of, a, yeah, he, he makes those kind of connections. I've heard similar stories about, um, Bill Clinton as well, and I'm sure it's true of a lot of other politicians as well, but they just have this amazing ability to be in a room and to be fully present and to make those connections and, you know, even meeting somebody years later, remembering those little details and, you know, making people feel like they're the only ones in the room that they're really talking to them. So that's, well, that's really cool that, uh, that you got to meet him and that, um, that he didn't... <laughs> He didn't, you know, cry or turn to dust when you mentioned the 14-syllable behemoth that is the name of our field or however many syllables it is instead of just calling it workplace psychology. Um, I actually, I have this idea that one episode of this show is just going to be me going around with my phone and just asking random people, you know, what do you think an industrial organizational psychologist does and just see what kind of responses I get. I have done that before yeah. at... I did that once at, at a conference, a small conference with a few other IO psychologists. It was when, about eight years ago, when we were debating the, um, the name change. Right. So we were testing different uh, ideas to a very drunk uh, wedding uh, rehearsal party. And, um, it, I, I'm not sure the data that we got, but it was a pretty funny reactions. I think uh, most of them were just sort of scratching their heads. So. <laughs> I hadn't thought of crashing a wedding to do that, but uh, well, they, you really raised the bar there. Or that we were at the <laughs> end of the conference day. So, all right, Mike, thank you so much for being on the uh, the show. I really appreciate the the input you gave us here from the uh, the academic side, and hopefully, we get some more uh, academics on the show as well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Ben.